first. Oh, Steve up here. Okay. So, Steve, yeah. So, you guys, uh, yeah, take it away. Great to have you guys. Thank you. Okay. Hi. My name is Steve W. I'm an alcoholic. My, my sobriety date is November 8, 1987. George Haley is my sponsor. And the men's black print only big book study is my own group. And I am thrilled to be here. To be here. Uh, on the uh, on the other side, I, like I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I love everything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I love the big book, the 12 and 12, all the slogans. And I love what it does for me and every alcoholic I know that follows the recipe of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. With that said, when I was talking with Pax about setting this up, um, I thought we had two 45-minute speakers. And then Pac said, you know, why don't you guys do a uh, Joe and Charlie kind of uh, scenario, if you're familiar with Joe and Charlie, uh, and, and kind of go through the steps. So I tagged Tony and, um, to say, hey, why don't you take this journey with me on this Zoom meeting? And Tony was uh, absolutely, he said yes, which I knew he would. I've known Tony for almost 12 years of his entire sobriety. His answer is always yes to AA. And that's why he's sober with a fabulous life. So with that said... Uh, I'll let Tony introduce himself quickly, uh, and then I will take step one, and we'll start out with step one. Okay. Unmute. There we go. I'm kidding. Hi. My name is Tony. I am alcohol. My sobriety is July 22nd, 2008. My sponsor is DW, and my home group is uh, Lost Alamitos and Surrender is Freedom. Uh, Steve's Steve's going going to go ahead and start out. This is, this is a total. We have to go through the 12, 12 steps. Uh, and we've kind of broke it down. We've allowed ourselves five minutes per step. Right. So we we'll allow our questions afterwards. Pax Alcoholic. Uh, Tony, sorry to interrupt. Um, Steve, uh, do you have a phone linked with Tony in the background? Uh, no, we're just sitting about five feet apart from yeah. each other. Is that the problem? Oh, yeah. It's the interference that's coming through. Oh, if I mute, we'll get the echo. Yeah, um, I'll I'll make you host and then we can kick off again. So you can unmute and mute yourselves uh, as and when you need to. Yeah. Okay, am I muted now? Yeah. No, you're not. Okay, some technical difficulties. Why don't you mute your phone, Tony? And I'll if one of you mine. needs to turn your sound off because the other's picking up the mic from one of you is picking up the sound uh -huh. of the other. I think you're right, Tom. We might change rooms here. Okay. So briefly, Steve's going to go ahead and lead us off. As I was saying, this is a tall order to go through the 12 steps. Uh, uh, we allowed ourselves about five minutes per step, but we're going to try to cover the meat of the steps. And uh, we'll be going through the 12 and 12 as we do this. So that's our reference material. The big book, once we try to incorporate that, there's just too much material there for us to cover it all. So as I said, we're gonna try for the meat and potatoes and share our experience, strength and hope as we go through this. And hopefully we can get through each step in five minutes. Okay, and with that said, Steve, I'm gonna let you start this off. All right, Steve back here. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties, but with that said, I wanna thank Pat for inviting us to this and getting this done uh, and allowing us to do this. Um, I love the flyer. You know, the flyer just, you know, rocketed into the fourth dimension. You know, what does AA mean by that? You know, Bill references that in his, in his story, in Bill's story on page eight of the big book. 
And he says, you know, how dark it is before the dawn. In reality, I was, I was beginning my last debauch. That's his last drunk. You know, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. That's been my experience in the last 32 years and six months of my sobriety. Um, I came in and I got sober in my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because you told me you had a solution on how to stop drinking and how to stop hurting and that I could stay from day one. Now, I came in as an alcoholic bartender in New York City and I was 32 years old and I haven't had a drink since my first meeting. But to honestly tell you, I did not come into Alcoholics Anonymous to stop drinking. I did not know I was an alcoholic before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I knew I hated my life. I knew I hated everything about my life. I hated myself. And the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that I woke up with every day, I didn't know that's what it was until it was defined in a meeting and I heard it in AA and I thought, that's, that's exactly what I've been living. That's the nightmare of my life. And I've tried everything in my power to be happy, successful, and all those things that I wanted in life. And there I was at 32, a total loser, total failure. And I could not stop drinking. But I didn't know drinking was the problem. And I didn't want to stop drinking, honestly, until I found out in Alcoholics Anonymous that all the happy people stop drinking in AA. They talk about the steps. They talk about getting a sponsor. They talk about having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And I thought, I'm doomed. I'm not here to stop drinking. I'm not here to find God. I have no idea what's wrong, but I hurt so bad. And a guy said to me, uh, who brought me into AA, who I drank with a ton in Chicago, who had been sober a year and a half. He said, Steve, why don't you do me a favor and do 90 meetings in 90 days? And I said, what's that? He said, why don't you go to, with, with me every day to a meeting? Don't drink. That's an absolute must. Do not drink. Because in AA, we don't drink no matter what, Steve. Because while you're drinking, nothing changes. And if nothing changes, nothing changes. Do you want the life you have? And I said, no. He said, all right. So I did a 90 and 90. And in that first 90 days, the miracle and magic of AA took hold of me. Without any des real desire to stop drinking, I quickly recognized from the happy people in AA and everything you taught me, it was about not picking up that first drink. Now, I'm not going off a quart of scotch every time I drink. I'm a blackout drinker from the age of 12 all the way up until the age of 32. And I, you know, I got college degrees and I have what quote unquote success, but I don't have an ounce of happiness, not an ounce of joy, no spirituality. I'm not interested in God. Yet all the happy people talk about God in AA. All the successful people in AA have a God of their understanding. You know, in Bill's story, where he gets that message from Ebby, you know, Bill, why don't you choose your own concept of God? AA allowed me to do that. My sponsor taught me how to do that. And we'll talk about that in step three. And uh, but put down that first drink. Steve, we don't drink no matter what. So I made a decision, right? We admit it. We were powerless over alcohol. And there's a dash there, a space, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Why is there a space in step one? It's the only one that has a space. In fact, step one is the only step that mentions the word alcohol. Because later on, I find out that I have much more serious problems. That alcohol is a symptom of my deeper emotional problems and my spiritual bankruptcy. So I put down the drink. 
and I make a decision. I'm not going to drink one day at a time. Just for today, I'm not picking up that first drink because I'm taught it's the first drink that gets me drunk. Thank God for the doctor's opinion. See, I thought the alcoholic bum was the guy in the street, dirty, filthy, in a trench coat, drinking out of a paper bag. It couldn't be a guy like me. It couldn't be a guy like, but then in there, yeah, you see all these people, like, how could they be drunks? But when you hear their stories, when you hear their drinking stories and how unhappy they were, and I read Bill's story, you know, it's like, wow, I understand these people. They understand me. But I didn't come to AA for understanding, right? Little, I came to stop hurting. If you can take away the pain I feel on a daily, 24 hour, seven basis of being alive, if you can take away that pain, I'm in, right? And in the doctor's opinion, we drink because we like the effects produced by alcohol. Oh, I understood that. Of course, that's why I drink, right? But then I find out I have a mental obsession and a physical allergy. Well, I got to stop. It's almost time. I have a mental obsession and a physical allergy. Didn't understand that. It got explained, explained to me by AA, my sponsor. They said, get a sponsor, Steve. You need it because you don't know how to stay sober. So I got a sponsor. We went through the steps. We do the big book. I'm going to end with this before I pass it off to Tony for step two. I love the fact that in the beginning of the book, it says, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered, ED, from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And then in the preface, the first italicized line, to show precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. That's what you have given me. I know exactly what I need to do to get sober, to stay sober, and to help another alcoholic. With that, I'll pass it over to Tony to take care of step two. Thank you, Steve. Okay, step two. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So when I first read this, I thought, well, this is their escape clause. This is how they'll get out of it when AA doesn't work for me. They'll say, well, you didn't believe, Tony, or, you know, it's your spiritual, it's a spiritual problem. I came, I have a spiritual background, but I came and we all live in a world of, you know, black and white, right? We're here living in the world and we need solid solutions and answers. And that's what I came here looking for. Like this, this seems, you know, kind of far-fetched or something. So I had a little trouble with that in the beginning. I thought, what is this, a cult? Are they going to brainwash me? Is that how they're going to go about this change for me to make me better? Uh, and the fact that I already, as I said, had a spiritual belief that uh, I was raised with, didn't practice often, but I, I did believe in a higher power. Uh, and yet I was still drunk. How does that work? Okay, so I definitely came with my doubts uh, and, my, and my beliefs. So as I look at this, I thought to myself, and I read further in the 12 and 12, it says AA doesn't demand that we believe right away or believe all this. It doesn't demand anything. In fact, all the 12 steps are suggestions for us. Because the first thing we know and we learn as we read on is that we're drunks can be very belligerent, right? You don't want, we don't want to hear what you think we ought to be doing. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Uh, so, but then AA said to get sober and to stay sober, I didn't have to do step two all at once. But what I did have to do was become willing. And with that, I could work with it. They said willing, Tony. In other words, get off the debate team, whether there's a God, whether it's not, the chicken or the egg came first. Stop all that and just be willing to think. Maybe. Maybe it is what you say. 
But if I come with that attitude, honestly, honestly, hope for me, they say. So I'm like, okay, I can put that together. Uh, and then I found in my own experience that once I made that connection and once I became willing, as little willingness as I was able to give up at first, because I still had a, very, a lot of prejudices about this program and if it was going to work and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but once I became willing, things started to change in my life. And I started to see these changes subtly first at first, right? Uh, but then once kind of across that threshold, it started to open up more and more. And to this day, I can look back and say, absolutely. Uh, I know how I was thinking back then. I know how I think now. And I was mistaken. I was wrong as, as I could be. But I could have sworn that I was so right about it my beliefs and how I thought at that time. Uh, okay, so as you read on in step two and 12 and 12, it goes on to talk about our various ways that we deal with the faith issue or don't deal with it. Uh, if you read that and you're open and honest, I'm sure that something in one or two parts in that will come true for you and you'll see yourself in that and say, okay, so maybe that's, or my dilemma was with faith. But one thing about faith is we all have to deal with it in some form or another, and we all have to find a way to deal with it. Whether we deal with it openly or whether we put it away someplace and dismiss it, it's a, it's a question of, of our existence that we will all come across at some point in our lives or another. Uh, so step two becomes a rallying point for us all, believers, non-believers, skeptics, whatever. For us to come together and say, okay, let's just set our beliefs aside for a minute, not throw them out, not give them away, just set them aside and let's be open and honest and let's investigate this and let's see what AA has to say about, about this. And it says at the very end, all that is required is a truly open mind okay, and the ability to be honest with ourselves. Okay, and with that, that's step two. I'm going to kick step three over to Steve and take it away, Steve. All right, I just unmuted myself. Thanks for Tony on that, that step two. You know, um, when I first started sponsoring Tony, he had the same problem I had when I first got sober, and that was a belief in a higher power, a belief in God. Like I say, I did not come in to find God. I was actually violently opposed to the concept of God. Um, but I found in the experience of AA that all the happy people in AA, all the ones that stayed sober, talked about a God of their understanding. And uh, thank God the way Bill lays out the steps, you know, step two, step three, right? Made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. I didn't understand God. I had no understanding of God. You know, I went to a nice little Lutheran church. There was nothing wrong with the Lutheran church, except Steve could not hear the message of God. I could not hear spirituality. But in AA, through you, I get to hear the message of God. I, and I get a God of my understanding by the willingness and the absolute conviction that I had that I was going to stay in AA. I heard a guy say in a speaker meeting, and I thought he was talking right to me. He said, hold on to your seat with all your might and let nothing drive you out of AA. And you will have a fabulous life. You will love your life and you will love the people in your life. 
And uh, so I made a decision that I was going to stay in AA no matter what. And it meant I was going to do the steps. And I went through all the steps with my sponsor, the first 12 steps in the first 12 months. And, uh, and I've been doing that ever since. But I had to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. But, you know, what does that mean? My will is my thinking, I was taught. I have to turn my thinking over to the care of God. God is going to take care of me, right? And then I had to turn my life over to God. Well, the life is made up of all my thinking and all my actions, and that comprises my life. So that step is asking me to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him, but I had no understanding. So my sponsor had me write down the current understanding I had of God, and I had a vengeful, hateful God, a bitter God, a God that was going to punish me. I knew I was doomed. And when I read that to my sponsor, he said, can you turn your will over to that God? And I said, no. He says, rip it up and get a new God. Steve, if you could choose God of your understanding, what would that look like? What would that be? And I said, I want a God who loves me unconditionally. I want a God that will not punish me. I want a God that will forgive me, that will, that will take care of me and help me in all situations and, and just love me. You know. And I read that to my sponsor. He said, well, then that's your God. And that's the one I've got. And I love on page 77 in the big book. It says, what we're really doing here is fitting ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people around us. And that's what AA has done for me and to me. It's been a maximum service to me. So I could turn around and help another alcoholic and fulfill my primary purpose of stay sober and help another alcoholic to achieve sobriety. So in that third step, I read the chapter to the agnostics over and over and over. And, um, and I love the chapter to the agnostics. It asked me two questions about me being an alcoholic. It says basically, you know, if when you start drinking, you find you have little control over the amount you drink, or while, no, I'm sorry, if when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, or once you start drinking, you have little control over the amount you drink, you are probably alcoholic. And I could answer yes to both of those. I could not stop. And once I started, the allergy would kick in and I would knock off a quarter scotch and block out. Then it says, that no amount of willpower, no amount of determination, and I have tremendous willpower, I never met an alcoholic that didn't, will keep me from picking up the first drink. So I had to find a power greater than myself, obviously. And we're gonna talk about God. And that led me into the chapter to the agnostics. But even before that, my sponsor said, you know, Steve, for a guy like you, if you don't pray, you don't stay. So I recommend, suggest that you get on your knees in the morning and ask God to keep you sober today, to get you to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, talk to an alcoholic, and if you accomplish that, go home, get back on your knees and say, thank you, God. That's how you start your journey in prayer, Steve. And that's what I did every day. And to this day, I do that. I wake up in the morning, I hit my knees, say, thank you, God, for keeping me sober. Please help me stay sober today. Get to an AA meeting or talk to a couple of alcoholics, and at the end of the night, get back on my knees and say, thank you, God, for my sobriety. And um, so I went through the journey. You know, and I love the, and I'll close with the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. I'm not telling God what I want and who I am and what I want to be and what I want to become. I'm offering myself to God to build with me and do with me as he wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, right? I learn about selfishness, self-centeredness. I'm driven by that at my core. 
It says, if I don't get rid of selfishness in the big book, it kills us. It will kill me. And uh, so I pray to God to remove my selfishness, right? As I journey through the steps, I hit my knees. God, help me to be willing to be willing to be willing because I don't know what that means. And uh, so I keep praying and I go through this step, you know, relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Not that I may make a lot of money or get a great wife or a great job. No, that I may better do your will, God. What is your will for Steve? When I learn that I could have all the willpower I want, if I align it with God's will, it's the proper use of the will. And that's what I've learned through the third step and through the rest of the steps that I'll get to. You know, and it's about take away my difficulties, that I can show others how to take away their difficulties. You know, and that I live by thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. The third step is about me seeking God's will for Steve and then implementing it in my life. You know, I learned in AA, the big book is not a reading exercise, Steve. It's a textbook for you to study and you discuss it with your sponsor. And they, my sponsor will say, do you understand what you just read? And I'll say, yeah. We'll talk about it. And I get a deeper understanding. I say, yeah. He says, well, when are you going to apply it to your life? See, that's just knowledge. You want wisdom, and wisdom is knowledge applied. So AA has taught me how to apply the words on the page, the things I've learned in AA, and apply it to my life. And in the third step, you know, I made that decision to turn my will and life over to the care of God. And, uh, and I've, never, I've never stopped doing that. And therefore, I've always stayed sober. I have no desire to drink whatsoever. And it looks like I hit my five minutes. So now we move on to the fourth step, and I'll turn it over to Tony. Hello, everybody. Back again. Tony Alcoholic. Uh, fourth step made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourself. Okay, so God gives us these natural instincts, a desire for a sex relation, marital and emotional security, a companionship, a fellowship, a place in society of importance or a status. Uh, it says in the fourth step that the cause of my problems are when my instincts exceed their natural course. In other words, when they're not in alignment with what God or my higher power would have for me. In other words, when I'm seeking more than my due or what should be due me, and I'm stepping on other people to get it, okay? That's when my instincts come in collision with your instincts, okay? And then there's where my problems begin. I drink, and then that's the, the start of my drinking problems, okay? Uh, step four is where I discover what my liabilities are. I put them on paper, and I discuss them with another, with God and with another human being, Okay. Uh, I start to see how my natural desires for security, for uh, relationships, for emotional security and companionship have warped me. And in which ways I've used that and that warpage of me has inflicted myself on you. Okay. Uh, how I have hurt others and what I need to do about how about to go about correcting that. Oftentimes, as we look at things and we look at life, you know, it's easy to see other people's problems, right? But not so easy to see our own. We might, you know, oh yeah, I guess I could be a little, you know, this or that at times, but we don't really give it the credit that it's due. But we can definitely point a finger at everybody else and, and tell them exactly what's wrong with them. 
So as we do our four step with the sponsor, this is how we find out what our de de deficiencies are. And this is how we address correcting them. Okay, so this is our first attempt at putting them on paper. And our natural instincts are gonna be to balk this or to pass this step. They were mine. I thought, mm, can't we just do some of the others? This seems like a lot of work, a lot of pointless surgery, as a matter of fact. I'm gonna have to open up some old wounds. I'm gonna have to look at stuff that I don't wanna look at that I thought I had packed away neatly uh, someplace in my mind and don't think about it too often uh, because of the pain it brings. Those are the instincts and those are the pains that come out in other ways in us and that we don't realize, that I didn't realize. And they make me, you know, hyper happy, mostly sad, angry. And when I take these out into the world and I inflict myself on people thinking I'm just being me, right? Uh, me with all these demons that I've shoved down inside me. They come out in other ways. Okay, ways that I don't see, ways that I don't understand. And then I sit here and think, for me, why, why do people treat me this way? Okay. I also have to realize that while I'm going through this, I'm dealing with other people who also suffer as I do. And it may not be alcohol or drug related. It may just be life related. So we're all a product of our environment. We're all a product of our parents, try as we might or the influences that we had growing up have influenced us in such a way, good or bad. And oftentimes these are the problems that we drink over. These are the things that have, have caused our personalities to conflict with others. So when we do the four step, this is our way of laying it out all on paper and having a logical, right? I'm a big fan of logic, a logical look at what, my problems are with each relationship that I've had. And if you're looking for a place to start on your fourth step, I always start with my parents, right? And then from there, I go to my siblings, relatives, schoolmates, workmates, and so on and so forth. And if I get overwhelmed and think, well, I can't think of everybody, that's okay. That's a great start right there. We can find plenty wrong with just those things and how those relationships and how we've dealt with them. So once we get them out on paper, we can work these things out and we can talk with our sponsor about them. And the important part of having a sponsor where we're doing this is this keeps us from getting too morbidly reflective on it, right? Or blowing it off like, yeah, that wasn't that big a deal, right? Our sponsor helps us find that fine line about what we need to deal with, what can wait, what's important, and because if you leave it up to me, I, you know, geez, I'm not such a bad guy. You know, I never went to jail because of my drinking. I never lost a job because of my drinking. So uh, I don't need this pro program as much as you guys need it. Right. And that was my thought coming in here. Uh, soon after I had a, a rude awakening at a family function where I realized that that I was just as much an alcoholic as is that homeless guy in the street. The only problem is that only difference was that my life hadn't taken me there yet. Okay. But I was on my way, well on my way. So uh, for me, that was my own personal experience. Once I had seen that or the reality that it was, I was able to take the rest of these steps and take direction.
And that was hard for me at first because, again, I'm trying to apply logic to everything. And, and I can read those steps and I can see and I'm like, yeah, okay, I understand that, but I don't see how that applies to me. Well, and I wouldn't until I got into him and so I worked him with another man and we went through this book and he showed me here's where you're at fault here are your liabilities here are your mistakes okay and here's where you're right where you might be thinking you're wrong okay we're not all bad and you'll find some good uh, assets on this sheet as we do this stuff and we'll talk more about that when I get to you into step 10 but uh, as we start to do this stuff sometimes pride and fear uh, are going to try to hold us back and tell us no don't don't delve into this relationship don't go back don't, don't go back there into that but the more we persist the more we go through that's when a real spiritual awakening happens that's when this program starts to really free us up right i used to not like to pick up the telephone when it rang i don't know who's calling but it can't be good right i had problems with just about every relationship i had and I didn't want to look at them. But once I started doing this step, and once I started to get in the right alignment and started to see my part in these things, I started to lose a lot of that fear that I had for dealing with situations, which I would beforehand shove down and just dismiss. Okay, but not really dismissing them, only to come up in fear in another form or anger in some other way. So as I start to go and persist in step four, this is me getting down to the root causes of my defects. And believe me, I need to get at those and I need to fix them. And that's how I'll tell you now forward in my forward thinking that I see how I couldn't have done this program without this step. It's vital. Just like all the steps, they're in perfect order and they're in this perfect order the way they should be. Okay. Tony doesn't need to rearrange them like I always thought I, I, I did. These steps work and they work the way they're supposed to. And if you fall on the way you're supposed to, your life will change. And that is the awesome thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. This, if you want real change, real recovery, a life that you've always dreamed of, it's here. It's here and it's here in these steps and we'll tell you how to get to it. You just have to be able to stand up to it because there's some rigorous honesty involved. And, uh, but that's, that's a beautiful thing. Once, you, once, you, once you're through that door, once you're over that hump, it starts to come and your life will change and it'll change because you recognize it, not because I'm telling you. I'm just an example of someone who's who tells you is telling you that this program works. You'll experience it for yourself to your own satisfaction. And then you will know there's something else bigger than us out there. And it's waiting for you too. Okay. And I'm gonna that I'm gonna turn it over to Steve in step five. Thank you. All right, moving on to step five. You know, I'm not sure how we're doing on time with everybody. If, if we run out of time, just let us know. It's time to wrap this up, and we'll move into the question and answers. Um, but with that said, you know, with uh, step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, you know, you go back to step one. Every step supports step one, one way, shape, form, or another. When I mentioned that, that little space and our lives have become unmanageable. When I did a fourth step, I get to see what has made my life unmanageable. And for the first time, I've taken an honest look at myself and I really see this is how I conduct myself. This is the anger I have, the fear I have, the sexual misconduct, the harms and hurts I've done other people. And it's ugly, right? I got a lifetime 
of uh, character defects running my life. One of the beauties of AA, I was told by completing the process of the steps and changing that I had to fundamentally change. In the back of the book, the spiritual experience, a personality change sufficient to recover from alcoholism is what's required. I love that in the spiritual experience in the back of the book. This fourth step shows me the personality that I've been living with for 30 years before AA. And that's why my life is unmanageable. Those are the symptoms and conditions that lead me to more drinking and uncontrollable drinking. And it also hurts all my loved ones. And I don't intend to do any of it, but I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-seeking and self-delusion. So then I get into step five after I've written down this entire inventory. And it says, one of my favorite passages in step five, that we had to be entirely honest with somebody if we were to live long or happily. I read that and I thought, oh my God, I've got to be entirely honest with somebody if I am to live long or happily. And that was my sponsor, my first sponsor, uh, Roger, back in New York. And, um, and I remember going into that. I had so much shame and guilt and fear about doing a fifth step. And, uh, but I knew I had to do it. And it even says it in the book. If we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. I mean, Bill puts a couple of warning signs throughout the steps. And there is one of them. I better pay attention to that. So I get with Roger at the time, my sponsor, and I start doing my fifth step. It took hours and hours to go through all the stuff, all the resentments, all the angers and all the fears. One thing I found out that all my anger, when I first got sober in New York, my nickname was Angry Steve. Every meeting I went to, that's how they called me, Angry, <laughs> Angry Steve, you know? And uh, I needed to fundamentally change my personality and had no idea how, but that's what the steps were about. So I go through the fifth step with my sponsor and I don't leave out anything. I go through everything. We had to meet three times for three hours at a shot. I put that guy through, through what drudgery to listen to the dribble of my life. But the beauty of that was when I got the stuff, he said, oh, I did that. I'm like, you did that? He goes, oh yeah, I did that lots of times. And I talk about some more stuff and he'd say, oh, I felt that way. I definitely thought that way. And I thought that way. And for the first time, there was another person saying, I feel that way. I've done those things. I understand. And my whole AA program changed. From after finishing up my fifth step, when I went into my home group, it was on, um, in New York City, Manhattan, on Lexington and 53rd, the City Court Bank building, a noon meeting. That was my first home group. When I walked into my home group after finishing my fifth step, I sat down in my chair and I felt like I really belonged. Now, I was probably about five months sober at the time because I was doing a step a month. It was roughly what I was on pace for because there's so much in every step. I didn't want to go through them too fast. My sponsor said, take your time and be thorough. And that's what I had to do in all the steps, really thorough. But there I was after I had admitted to Roger everything I had done. The beauty of it, he said, you know, you never have to be that guy again. You never have to live that way again. You don't have to think that way. You don't have to do those things. You can absolutely change. And then we're going to go into six and seven. Those are the changing steps. But for the first time, I understood why my life was so unmanageable. And, and it wasn't because I wanted to be that way. It's just the way my life went with my drinking and, and the way I experienced life and the way I reacted to life. That's really it. The way I was reacting to life was horrible. I was so negative. When I used to share in my home group, they'd cut me off. 
because I'd be so negative. They'd say, all right, we don't want to hear any more from you. And a guy once pulled me aside and said, Steve, you are the most negative person I've ever met. How do you live like that? And I said, I don't. I drink. I drink a quarter scotch a day. I don't live. Now you talk about getting rigorously honest. You talk about really bone honesty. And he said, you don't ever have to live that way anymore. And, you know, and since then, I've never had to be angry Steve. And I've changed. And because of that, I got a fabulous life. I have a fabulous wife. I have a daughter who's 28, who's never seen me angry. I mean, really angry. Uh, I was a rager back in the bar days, right? I was a real bar drinker, bouncer in bars, you know, bartender in bars, yada, yada, yada. So those character defects, I don't have to live that way any longer. And a guy said to me one time, you know, I, I might die with my character defects. They're just not going to run my life anymore. And then six and seven, I get to build character assets and become the person God intended me to be. So I think that's all I have. Oh, I wanted to back up to this. Humility. I left this out in the beginning. Every step is a step in humility. For me to admit I'm an alcoholic, it's about humility. For me to seek a, a, a relationship with God, it's about humility. For me to go through these steps and humbly ask somebody you know, to be my sponsor, that's about humility. Every step is a step in humility for me to grow spiritually. And I'll talk about the spiritual foundations uh, as we go through in the next steps. But that's enough on step five. Tony will take step six. Okay. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. Step six, moving right along. We were entirely read, entire, we were entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Okay. First question, will God remove these defects of character? Right? That was what I was thinking. I've done everything you've said. I'm getting some relief. I start to have a faith, the smallest of faiths, but it's growing. Okay, so again, we get with my sponsor and we do this because doing it alone has never worked for me. Uh, so I asked my sponsor, will God do this? Is this, you know, he says, hell yeah, in my experience. And he was right. And now I can turn back and I can say that to people that I sponsor. Hell yes, he will. Affirmative. There is a God of my understanding, a higher power. However you want to look at it, it's real and it's there. And I believe, and I thought I believed before, but I truly believe now. And I believe now because I have experienced it in my life. I have seen it happen. I've watched it in others. When I come into the meeting, I see some people, they got something. I don't know what it is, but, you know, at ease with themselves, all the things that I wanted. Okay. They're not boasting. They're not bragging. They're just chill, right? I want what they have. And now I have it. And that's, this is the process of which I had to get it. But even when I approached step six, I still had my doubts, right? Because we're building on this. Each step is a building block in humility. First, you got to break us down, and then you build us up. And that's how it is in the military. That's how it is in any kind of training. First, we got to get rid of your bad habits. Okay, then we got to show you that these are bad habits and why. And now we move forward with the building process. So uh, my first problem with alcohol, right? That was my biggest problem. When I came to AA, I thought, you just finish this, get rid of this alcohol thing for me. And I could figure the rest out myself. So 
did and will God remove this obsession that I had to drink? Uh, and the answer is yes, absolutely. The obsession to drink left me. I no longer sit there and crave a drink. I don't crave a drug. I don't look at other people who are enjoying a drink or your drug and think, God, I wish that could be me again. Because I've gone enough around in this program to see where that leads me. And I know that that's not where I need to be. There's nothing in a drink or a drug for me anymore. It doesn't do what it used to do for me. There was a time when it was a fun thing to do. And then that time passed. And then I began chasing that. And I was never to catch it again. Okay? It, it would never happen for me again. And I realized that. And then I realized all the damage that I caused as a result of that. So how did that happen? What did I do that changed other than follow direction? As for, therefore, I came to the conclusion that there has to be something bigger than me out there. And it didn't happen overnight. I didn't get a white light experience. It was a gradual process. My sponsor had to talk to me one day and say, Tony, how you feel? I said, I feel fine. Really? How's the wife? Oh, the wife's good. How are the kids? They're doing okay. You know, how's work? Works fine. You know, moving along. Really? I said, yeah. He goes, you know, before... He goes, your wife was a bitch. The kids were not listening to you work. It was a pain in the ass. What happened? You know, I was happy and I didn't even know it. Can you believe that? Somebody had to point that out to me. That's how deep I was in my own thoughts and feelings in my own mess. So step six, absolutely God came in. Okay, uh, so step six is AA's way of saying, uh, bring the best possible attitude and actions you can to this lifetime job of fixing your life. In other words, God is there. He's been there waiting for you or a higher power, let's say, because if God offends you in some way, I don't want to be the one who offends you. So whatever it is that's your higher power, even if it's the AA meeting itself, because there are a bunch of people who have demonstrated that they can stay sober and you can't, without them even if that's where you're at that's a great place to be okay from here you can move forward and now you have a list of your defects and with that list you can start to attack them it comes up in six is if god will remove my obsession to drink why won't he remove all my other defects of character well largely i still need a lot of that stuff to live okay and to the degree that there are defects and they affect other people I understand that and I can see that now. So I have a better way of monitoring myself and looking at these things and fixing them, okay? And not offending my fellows in the process. Uh, but who, again, it says here in six, and it's another point I wanna bring up. It says, who has the kind of willingness 24 seven to continue to do this every day with every one of my character defects? They practically nobody, okay? But we want to strive in that direction, okay? We may not run to that, but we want to walk purposefully in that direction. And in so doing, we're making progress. And it's progress, not perfection, that we're looking for in AA. So if you're new to the program and you're new to this whole God thing and stuff, I'll tell you from my experience, it works. You work these steps and you take direction from a sponsor and you'll see in your life that it works for you as well. Okay, so I'm gonna turn this back over
All right, thanks, Tony. Right, so step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings, my shortcomings. I've identified them in four, I've shared them with my sponsor. Six, I've become entirely ready. And now I'm humbly asking God to remove my shortcomings. And like the first paragraph in the 12 and 12, right? Indeed, the attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. For without some degree of humility, no alcoholic can stay sober at all. I know that's absolutely true for me. I did not come in here. Uh, people thought I was arrogant, you know, and really what I was was a massive amount of ego with a massive amount of low self-esteem. And AA got me to right size through humility. I lost that grandiose ego. I lost the way that, that low, low, low self-esteem. And for the first time, I became right-sized, and the steps right-sized me. And that was about humility, to recognize who and what I was. And, and in six and seven, you know, we talked to them about the changing steps, right? It goes back to this experience in the back of the book. I needed a personality change to recover from alcoholism. So I needed to recover from all my character defects in step four. I needed to change dramatically uh, into a whole different kind of person, right? Patient, tolerant, kind, loving, considerate, to be of maximum service to God and my fellows, you know, as it says on page 77. And, um, and I was willing to work on that. Now, people, you know, would say, I'm working on my character defects. And I said, no, no, no. I don't work on my character defects. I did that for the first 30 years of my drinking. I work now to build character assets. And AA taught me about character assets. And it says, you know, we all have some. And now we want to really grow our character assets. And I want to grow in the image and likeness of my creator, of God. You know, and I think, you know, when certain circumstances come up, it's like, how would God react to this? What would God do in this situation? How would God respond to this? And it's not with fear, and it's not with anger, and it's not with resentment, and it's not with self-pity. I remember when I was new in the program about self-pity, and I was whining and complaining about everything. And, uh, and a guy said, um, hey, Steve, get off the cross. We need the wood. And I'd never heard that before. But it was so accurate. You know, the self-pity I had. I didn't know I had self-pity until I really went through the steps. And I saw that I was, had a massive amount of self-pity. You know, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. I, I love the slogans of AA. You know, back to step one, and, and it's true in this step here. They said, Steve, what do you get when you pull the booze out of a drunken horse thief? And I said, what? And they said, a horse thief. And if you be a horse thief, you better change. Step four showed me the kind of horse thief I was. Step five, six, and seven. Now I can change and no longer be a horse thief, right? I can become a a decent human being, just a good guy. I just want to be a good guy in AA, in my family, my community. So I start working on character assets. What would love do in this situation? Let's have patience here. Let's be tolerant. When I go to the grocery store, I don't know how you do it in the UK, but we go to the grocery store, they give you a shopping cart. You push it around, you bring your groceries out to the car. You throw your groceries in the car. Do I put away the grocery shop, you know, cart? Do I go all the way back and put it away? so that the next person can just come and get it and go into the grocery store. And that, that my shopping cart doesn't roll down the incline and hit somebody's car and scratch it. Am I being thoughtful of others? You know, am I willing to sponsor people? Am I willing to sit and talk to them and listen to them about their struggles in AA or life? And then try and share my experience, strength and hope 
And I always try and reference it through the big book in 12 and 12. So it's not my opinion. You know, a guy once asked me, Steve, so don't give me this AA crap. I don't want to hear about it. He goes, give me your opinion on this. <laughs> my friend, Big Joe. I said, Joe, my opinion almost killed me. What are you going to do with it? You don't want my opinion. You want to know what did I learn from the people in Alcoholics Anonymous and my sponsor? What is God, you know, how would God have me react and, you know, to this situation? And it always comes down to patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. So that's what I work on to grow. I forget my character defects. When they pop up, I have to identify them and I have to share them with my sponsor. But I can't hold on to it. I can't stuff it. Can't pretend it doesn't exist. So I grow in humility. I grow in character assets. And, you know, and that moves me into, I'm not done yet, right? I'm not done changing. I'm not done cleaning up the wreckage of the past. I have to still clean house. I like trust God, clean house, work with others. And in the house cleaning process, that puts me into step eight and nine, right? So I'm praying all the time to have grow character assets. I'm praying not to have my character defects run my life anymore. I'm praying for God's direction and understanding. And I'm trying to be the best person I can be in six, seven. Then I move into eight, nine, and it's time for me to make amends, to clear away the real wreckage of my past. Uh, past. I don't have Tony pick up with eight. Um, Pat, I don't know how we're doing on time. If this is too long, if you need to cut us off now, let us know. We'll go no, to uh, we probably have another, uh, we can go on for another 20 minutes, guys. I mean, I'm sure you, I, think, oh. I think you can All get right. to the end uh, to stuff. Too. I want to hear the end, man. Keep going. I want to hear it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Tony, you're on eight. Okay. Hey, everybody. Okay. Uh, all the persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Okay. So first, what are harms? Okay. So per the book, uh, the result of instincts in collision, which cause physical, mental, emotional, spiritual damage to people. So essentially, who have we hurt in our lives? Okay. Uh, so this is a process where we get ready to make amends to for the mistakes and the damages we have been, but we have to be in the right frame of mind to do this. Sometimes we, uh, we want to be overly apologetic or sometimes we want to try to dismiss something is ah, it really wasn't that bad. You know, you should kind of forget about it, or, you know, grow up. Uh, or we might just come and say to ourselves, you know what, what they did to me was even worse. So, Therefore, what I did to them wasn't so bad. They had it coming. So that kind of neutralizes it. We'll just forget that whole thing. Okay, this kind of thinking is, as the book says, is purposeful forgetting. Okay, we have to remember, we're here to change ourselves. We can't control what's going on with those around us. And we have to also remember that we deal with other sick people who suffer from the same maladies we do, whether they have an alcohol and drug problem or not. Okay, people still suffer from the same type of growing pains. That being said, we have to fetch ourselves up and we have to come clean and be honest. We don't need to be overly dramatic about it. We don't need to understate it, okay? We just need to pray about it. We need to get with our sponsor and we need to see how we're gonna go about each amend. And as we make these things, an amend is, is a change that we're going to make. Steve will go more onto that and I don't want to get too deep into amends, but it's not just an apology. We have to make it right. Okay. If we've taken money from somebody, then that needs to be paid. We need to set up a plan. 
uh, a lot of some of these things and some of the damage we've caused is going to be tough to face up to, okay? But thanks to AA and thanks to sponsors, we never have to do this alone. I have gone with my sponsees to make many an amend, and my sponsor has gone with me to make amends as well. And I always run it past him either way to let him know where I'm coming from when I'm going to make this amend and what I'm going to say. And that helps a lot. It keeps us out of, you know, morbid uh, drama and keeps us holding steadfast to what we need to do. We need to get in there. We need to make that amend. We need to make it right. And then we need to move on with our lives. Okay, uh, so as we look at our list that we made back in step four, having surveyed the wreckage, we need to see who we're gonna set up for, who comes in priority. Some events can't be made right away, they have to be postponed, but this is not an excuse for us to put it off indefinitely. Remember, we're doing this for ourselves. This cleans up our soul. This cleans up our insides. Our guts are the ones that need washing. And when we do this, this frees us up. This is part of that process of getting free and moving on with life, right? There's a lot of shame that I held on to and, and fear that I had for things that I did and things I didn't do that I just piled on, you know, probably I should have done that or whatever. Once I sorted all those things out and got out there and started making those amends for that, my life started to really change. Okay, with each step, you, you, your process grows and you grow with it. Okay, so uh, what seems like an impossible task, one, you don't have to do it alone. You have a sponsor to go with you if you need it. And two, once on the other side, you're going to see that these things often aren't as big a deal as you thought. I had a friend who had to make an amends to the court. He was prepared to go to jail for a warrant that he had. He showed up. He said he'd been in a drug and alcohol program. He showed us his completion date. He still follows AA principles. He came ready to make financial reparations to the court. The judge said, go make those reparations. He did, and he came back, and he dismissed all his charges. Okay, that's one instance. I'm not saying that's going to happen for everybody, but these are the things that happen to us when we get right with the world. I often look at it as a river, and uh, – we're swimming upstream, we're swimming against the current instead of going with the flow of how things naturally occur, okay? Because we're trying to make it, I was always trying to make it bend to my will. Okay, so to bring it up and to conclude, uh, don't exaggerate our defects, okay? A quiet objective view will be our steadfast aim as we're going forward to make these amends to the folks. Okay, our sponsor will be there with us to help us. Uh, and it says here in the conclusion of step eight, and this is what I love about it, and it's true. Uh, step eight is the beginning of the end of isolation from God and from our fellows. So all that fear I had of people, of what you might find out about me, that I'm not good enough, so on and so forth, that goes away. Because now I've dealt with those demons, and they're not demons no longer. Okay, and with that, I'll hand it over to Steve, and I'll see you guys again for 12. I'm sorry, for 10. All right, thanks, Tony. You know, as Tony was going through eight, and you know, I'm going into nine, and it brings me way back to when I had to do my first set of amends. And, uh, you know, I was going through the steps really, really well. And although 
getting sober is singularly the, the hardest thing I've ever done. You know, early on, it's just brutal. I don't know about you. Getting sober was just brutal. And, uh, and, that, and I love the slogan, you know, uh, one day at a time. I just got to do this one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time in the beginning. You know, five minutes at a time would seem very long. But as I went through the steps, and I went through four good, I, you know, got that done in a reasonable amount of time, and five and six and seven and working on that. When I got to eight, I, I kind of hit a wall. It's like, wow, I got to go to people. And I've got to tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth. That was one of the things about sobriety, right? Rigorous honesty, Bill writes. Honesty is just not good enough. Rigorous honesty, Steve. And now I realize I've got to go and sit down with people and tell them some things that I definitely don't want to face up to, that I definitely don't want to admit I did. You know, thank God it says we share in a general way. My amends make direct amends. That means you can't write a letter and mail them off to some, you know, mail them off or send them an email now, right? You know, back when I got sober, we had no internet. There was no sending emails. You'd write a letter. Oh, no. My sponsor said, if you hurt that person via letter, you can maybe mail them a letter. But this is direct amends, eyeball to eyeball. Wow. So we have our list. We become entirely ready. You know, and I started making my amends with my family first. And my father had died before I got sober. And, um, and I thought, how am I going to make amends to my dad? And that's where sponsorship, good sponsorship comes in. Sponsor said, you go to his gravesite, you kneel down, and you have a conversation you know, with your dad at the grave. And you make those amends on everything. You know, it was, I was in New York. My father was buried in New Jersey. It was the wintertime. It was snowing. It was super cold. And I took a bus because I didn't have a car. I took a bus down to southern Jersey, went to the gravesite hit my knees and uh, what seemed to be an hour. I had snow like growing up on my hair and I just knelt down and made my amends. And that was one of the more difficult ones, you know, and, but the sense of relief. One thing I got out of eight and nine was a lot of forgiveness. I forgave other people that I believed wronged me, wronged me when they didn't. It was my perception. It was my selfishness that always turned it back to poor me, poor me. You know, as Tony mentioned, you know, hey, you hurt me more than I hurt you. Now, that's not what it's about. It's about me looking at my side of the street and making amends and then making reparations where it's necessary. So I went through all my amends and it always talked to, I always talked to my sponsor first. And the guys I sponsor say, don't run off and make these amends. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about how you're going to approach this. And it's not about saying, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. It's about saying, here's what I did. And I am deeply sorry. I will not repeat that conduct in business. I will not do that again. How can I make this right? And those are the conversations I was having with people as I made my amends. But I always ran it by my sponsor first so that I could go in and not over embellish or not, you know, dress it up as something that it really wasn't, you know, rigorous honesty. But I have no right to hurt the other person to save my own skin, right? I cannot hurt somebody else. So certain things don't get said. You know, a general amends. Don't have to be a lot of details sometimes. If those details will do more harm than good. I'm here to, wait to, you know, to clear the air, but not at the other person's expense. So there was a lot of, you know, it says, you know, good judgment. And right in the beginning of step nine, it, it tells me directly, right? Good judgment and a careful sense of timing. 
courage and prudence. These are the qualities we shall need when taking step nine. And, and, and Bill lays it out. You know, I, I, I just marvel at how Bill is so accurate on everything he puts in front of me to do and how correct it is and how it fixes my life, how it heals me, how forgiveness comes, and I stop repeating the behavior. Um, and, 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 you know, there's a, I think it's around step five where it says, you know, there's not a lot of places in the big book of 12 and 12 where it says two plus two equals alcoholic or alcoholism. But around relationships, it says that. It says personal relationships have nearly always been the cause of my woes, including my alcoholism. You know, I let that ramble around my brain a lot. Personal relationships have nearly always been the cause of my woes, including my alcoholism. Well, what are these relationships? Oh, looks like I'm out of five minutes. So, yes, eight and nine, fabulous for fixing relationships and then learning how not to create bad ones again and hurt people. Now I'll turn over 10 to Tony. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, uh, so, step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Of course, AAA holding us to the task here of checking and rechecking ourselves. Uh, AA's way of uh, putting all the steps we've learned into practical use. So 10, 11, and 12 tend to be the maintenance steps of our program. Having cleaned away a lot of the wreckage of our past and learned and remembered the tools that we use to do it, which are the steps, uh, we put this practical way of living to work. And to monitor our progress, we have an inventory, okay? A continuous look at assets and liabilities and a real desire uh, to learn and grow are necessary for us to stay sober, okay? Doing these steps once is, is not enough. We want a continuous, awesome life. So let's say that you've come to this part in your AA walk and Things are getting cleared up. You're starting to, your faith is deeper now than it was, has ever been. And your life, right? And you recognize that because your life is awesome. Okay, how do we keep that going, right? So we have a list. We do inventories. And there's basically three types of inventories. I'll just cover those real quick. The spot check inventory, which we do on the spot if we're in the middle of our day and something knocks us off balance right? Uh, a discussion, the boss calls us into the office, the wife says something. Okay. So we need to do a spot check inventory. Just kind of bring it all down and say, wait a minute, before I say the first thing that comes to my mind, which has usually gotten me in trouble, let me just pause for a moment, think it through, ask God. I have a lot of wisdom now that I've built up through this program. I have seen a lot of my own mistakes that I've made in the past. Now is my chance to pause, take that tactical pause, and think about how do I want to answer this question, rather than just blurt out the first thing that comes to my mind, okay? Uh, then there's the end of the day inventory that we take. Before we go to bed, uh, in the big book on page 86, there's a list, okay? It's the top paragraph on page 86, and it goes over your nightly things. Uh, was I fearful? Was I honest? There's 10 of them there that cover it. And if you can answer those questions to your satisfaction, 
And even if you don't, if you made an error, there's one I'm not sure, okay, what do I need to do about that? Do I own amend? Do I need to just see what that develops into? Uh, is there action that needs to be taken or not need to be taken on that? Okay, but these are the things that help keep us in alignment with all the stuff that we've just learned. This keeps us in the forefront of our mind. So as we go forward in life, we continue to have these awesome lives, right? We continue to work on our character defects to their improvement. Okay, uh, so it says here, it talks about an emotional hangover. Well, we know what a hangover is from our drugs and alcohol, but emotional hangover is a direct result of yesterday or today's negative emotions, pride, fear, anger, jealousy, one of the, any one of the seven deadly sins will do. But the way we feel just not right today, something's off, I just don't feel like I'm on the spiritual beam right now. Let's look and see what that happened. That could be part of that right there, something that we're, we're not dealing with, that we hadn't looked at. Well, if we're not doing an inventory, and I, like I said earlier, who has fortitude to, to continue to do this all the time? No one, but that's not an excuse either. We know that now, and we have to work towards these things if we want to continue to have the life that we have. And I'm telling you, my life before AA was not a life at all. My life after AA is awesome. It's everything I want it to be and, and even more if I'm willing to do the work. Okay, so step 10 keeps me on the beam, keeps me focused. What's my importance? What's my priorities? Have I offended anybody today? Do I own an apology? No, can I move forward? Yes. Uh, and then there's your annual inventory. This is something you might do. I say annual, it doesn't have to be annual. It can be whenever you and your sponsor get together. It's been a while since you did your 10th step. How are things going? Let's, you know, how's the family situation? How's work? How are the kids? So on and so forth. What's going on in your life? And then you and he can talk about it because who knows your life better than your sponsor? So uh, these are the things that we do uh, to keep ourselves on the beam, like I said. Uh, okay, and then again, it says here, and I meant to bring this up earlier, throughout time, the wise have always known that self-examination is key. Okay, you think of all the experience and all the great thinkers that you know, and they were all experts of self-examination, what worked, what didn't work. Okay, and they rose to their greatness because of such simple principles as step 10 is trying to describe to us right now. So, uh, humble beginnings. This is what this program's all about. Okay, but oftentimes humble beginnings require some work on our part. And if you're like me, sometimes you're a little, little bit lazy about that. But when I do it and when I take care of this stuff, my life is awesome and it continues to be awesome. And with that, I'm gonna turn it back over to Steve. Yep, thanks, Tony. Um, moving along here, I'll be pretty fast on step 11 because we're taking a lot of time. And in step 11, you can spend hours and hours on. But what, what I love, you know, and AA's taught me, you know, right, right from the get-go, what I have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. Where'd I get my, maintenance, my, my, my spiritual condition? In AA. How do I grow in a large? my spiritual condition, it's really through AA and everything that it's taught me up to step 11. So step 11, sort through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood him, praying only for knowledge of 
his will for me and the power to carry that out. Right. Isn't that what I'm really after? I don't want to be running on self-will, self-determination, self, 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 right? Uh, AA said, no, that's what's killing you. Always chasing Steve's, right? No, we become selfless in AA. Because it does say that selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. So I get rid of self as I journey through the steps as much as I can. And I really go, what's God's will for me in this situation? How would God have me respond or not respond? And uh, so forth. So with that, right, prayer and meditation or principal contact with God. What I love is using the St. Francis prayer to see where I am in my spiritual condition and, and growth. You, you, can, you, know, you get a lot from how people are reacting with you and how you react with people to see when I'm spiritually fit, all relationships are so easy, right? I don't react negatively, but if I'm not spiritually fit, I'm a little uncomfortable, right? And I like staying comfortable in my own skin. But I like using the 11-step prayer as, as a way of growing. And, and, and it has the characteristics of the God of my understanding that I want to grow towards, right? The character assets. So in that prayer, matter of fact, in the book study that I attend on Saturday morning, we close that meeting with the 11-step prayer because it's been my journey through AA that not, probably 95% of the people in AA don't know the 11-step prayer. They don't even know where to find it, that it's on page 99 in the 12 and 12. So, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. And I have to ask myself, am I still a warrior, a fighter, an arguer, or am I trying to bring peace into wherever I go? Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love. I came into this meeting, I'm mean, into this AA, with a massive amount of anger, a massive amount of resentments and hatred and so forth. And I have changed that into trying to find love in every human being I come in contact with or every situation. You know, am I bringing, am I stirring the pot or trying to bring love and understanding into situations that where there is hatred, you know, I may bring love, that where there's wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. You know, I want forgiveness, but how quick am I to forgive somebody else? You know, and what I've learned along the way on forgiveness, you know, once I have forgiven somebody and I really believe that in my heart, I am forgiven them. I'm done with that conversation. I'm not going to six months later pull out that and use it again as an arrow for me to win an argument or to win a, a situation. I have forgiven and I forget what I believe then was a harm done me. And I don't bring it up anymore. I don't live in the past of that. You know, do I really forgive somebody? Um, I've got to spend time on that and pray a lot of times to really forgive. Um, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. I love all those words. Peace, love, forgiveness, harmony, right? Hope, light. You know, I, I, I picked up a little slogan I like that I use in my life. Be a light unto the world and hurt it not. A powerful spiritual sentence in my life. Be a light unto the world and hurt it not, Steve. Right. I really try hard to implement that in my daily living, you know, and then like I like the rest of this. Right. Um, Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood. Right. My whole life. You don't understand me. You don't understand me. The truth was I didn't understand me. So how could I possibly expect anybody else to understand me? But now 
It's not about me having you understand me. No, let me understand you, right? Less of me, more of you, I've learned in AA. Less of me, more of you. You know, quote, quote is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one, right, finds, you know, by dying that one is awakened to eternal life. But dying doesn't mean me physically dying. What I believe that dying is referring to is what Bill talks about in his story. Bill writes in his story, a price had to be paid, the destruction of self. And that's what I think that's being referenced, at least in my, for me, right? That the destruction of self, that selfishness, that self-ego, ego, easing God out, right? As I eliminate all that, that's when I grow spiritually. That's when my maximum service to God and my fellows and I always go back, you know, I have fabulous relationships with my wife and my daughter, who's 28, has never seen me drink, you know, and we have a great relationship. And um, it's all about relationship, isn't it? I'll end with these three relationships that I never had before. One is I never had a, real, a loving relationship with God. Today I do, and I have for a long time in AA. I didn't have relationships with people. I put up a facade of who I wanted you to believe I was. And I never let you in. I was never vulnerable at all because I was sure you would hurt me. I no longer live that way. Now, everybody knows who I am and what I think and how I feel, you know, especially in the program, but in my regular life. I'm no longer hiding behind a mask trying to be something I'm not, you know. So great relationship with God, great relationship with my family. And for the first time, I'm at peace with myself. The three relationships, God, the people around me, and my relationship with myself. I'm no longer at war with myself. I don't, I'm not restless and irritable and discontent. You know, I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I've been that way for a long, long time in AA. And it happens quickly, right? You don't need decades of, uh, of sobriety to have a fabulous life. You know, I see guys that I sponsor in, you know, nine months, a year, and they're just growing and flourishing and everything's starting to click. And of course, there's more growth as we go. But it doesn't take decades. That's what I love about AA. It happens fast. And really just as fast as I let go and let God, that's how fast it happens. So that's all I'm going to stay on step 11. Otherwise, we'll never finish up this marathon of step work. Tony, you're on to 12. Wrap it up, please. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, uh, step 12. So having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice, practice these principles in all our affairs. Okay, so it has in the book a definition of a spiritual awakening. And that is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this, to do, feel, and believe what we could previously not do, feel, or believe on our unaided strength alone. In other words, we tried to quit drinking. We tried to do all these things in life. We tried to go to the gym and get in shape. We tried to uh, go to school, but we couldn't because alcohol was in our way. We were in the way, okay? Something had to change. What changed as a result of working these 12 steps? We got a higher power in our life. We made a spiritual connection, okay? And that is as real as real gets for me, okay? And if you work this program and do these steps, I guarantee you, Alcoholics Anonymous promises that it will happen for you too, okay? 
But as we went over the steps earlier, we can see how easy it is to deceive ourselves. I know it was for me. I lived a lot of self-deception my whole life. And even to this day, I find it remarkable how I could have fooled myself for so long. Okay, carry this message of hope. Now that you've worked these 12 steps, each of these 12 steps is a principle in itself. Each of these 12 steps is a step in humility that you have to go through. Again, we talked about the breaking you down to build you up. Okay. It's you looking at your defaults and your characters and making corrections for those. Okay. But having completed these 12 steps, who is better able to carry this message on to another suffering alcoholic than you? When you see somebody coming in those doors of an AA meeting and you can see in his eyes how he feels, you know it because you've been there. And now you're on the other side of that. Who's more uniquely qualified to help that guy? A doctor? A lawyer? No. You. Another alcoholic. Okay, who has worked these 12 steps? Okay, and that is key because, because you have had that spiritual awakening, you can see clearly the other side. And you can see the pain in this guy's eyes, and you know it because you were there. Okay? Uh, so what does practicing these principles in all our affairs mean? All the steps that we've learned in AA to this point have, again, taught us a principle of how to behave and how to act and how to live rightly with other human beings. Okay, and isn't that kind of what we've been trying to do all our lives? It is for me. Uh, stand by. Sure. Okay, so 12, step 12 is huge. There's so much in it. And I can only have a little amount of time, so I just really have to paraphrase this, which doesn't do any of these steps as much justice, by the way, but we're just trying to hit the highlights and trying to to give you a helicopter view of the whole AA program. So uh, what is 12-step work? 12-step work is talking to other people, saying hi to that guy walking in the door. Even if you just say hi and he doesn't want to talk, that's you stepping up, okay, introducing yourself to somebody. Now he knows you, okay, and if all the other strangers in that room, he knows your name at least. Maybe he'll come to you. Maybe he won't. That's on him. Okay. You remember when you were in that position. Uh, making coffee. That's 12-step work. Assisting that meeting. You got a secretary who's running it. Somebody needs to make the coffee. That could be a job for you. And that's good. Setting up chairs. That was my job when I first got sober. I had such a work schedule that it wasn't a regular day that when I went to work, it, was, it didn't fall like with regular days of the week. So Steve had me set up chairs when I showed up at meetings. Set them up, take them down. And I did that. And the whole time I was doing that, I thought, how is this helping me get sober? He said, don't worry about that. Just do it. And then when you're done setting up the tables and chairs, stand by the door and greet the people that come in. All right. So I did that. And I'm telling you, in doing so, now I can look back and see. It gets my head out of myself, my own problems, my own worries. Because the whole time I'm thinking, when am I going to get to my stuff, right? When am I going to work on my problems? When's this AA going to work for me? Blah, blah, blah. When I'm helping other people, I'm not in my head. I'm helping them. And I feel start to feel good about it, like I'm doing something. Like, you know, I'm not this piece of crap maybe that I think I am. For a moment, okay? And then those moments grow. And then I grow. 
and then it just takes on a life of its own. This is a gradual process, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. It says that in the books. But as much as I fight it is as much, it will take me that much more time. Okay. The more I'm willing to be honest, willing to be willing, the quicker I'll start to get some of these concepts. Okay. And then there's always going to be a point, well, I want to fight on that one because I have my belief about that. Okay. Go ahead. It's just going to take a little bit longer, but that's okay. We got all the time. So as you're doing this and as you're going through this step and you're going through your own journey, and that's what it is. It's your personal journey. And when you're done with it, you're going to share your journey with someone else. You're not going to go on the corner and preach on the streets. You're going to see somebody who's suffering and you're going to walk up to them. You're going to see, because you, you see that suffering, you know, that suffering. You're going to walk up to them and you're going to say, Hey, how you doing? My name is Tony. And, uh, this is what happened to me. And I tell them my experience, what it was like, what happened. I got to AA. I worked these steps, what my life is like now, my experience, my strength, my hope. That's all I'm required to do to help another alcoholic. I don't need to give him money. I don't need to provide a place for him to live. If I have those resources, that's great. But that's not my obligation. My obligation is to share this message because sometimes people aren't going to hear it. Sometimes people don't want to hear it. They're not ready to hear it for whatever reason. And I'm not mad at them. Okay. Because they weren't mad at me when I came in and out of these rooms until it stuck. So if you're new here and you're not sure, I know what that feels like. Uh, if you work in a program and you're not getting some of the things that Steve and I have talked about out of it, go, go back and look at it. All the answers that we have in the beautiful life that I have today is a result of the 12 and 12 in the big book, period. Okay, there's other great books out there, and I do read them, but this is what saved my ass. This is what saves an alcoholic and a drug addict like me. Okay, those other books are great. They're fillers. They sometimes explain stuff that I see in the big book, and I'm like, wow, that's great. Kind of like a spiritual thinking, right? It's universal, and I find it to be true. So uh, with that, I think we're going to open up to questions and answers at this point. Is that right, Pax? I'm going to turn the meeting yep. back over to Pax. Thank you, Tony. Pax is back. Thank you, guys. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was amazing. Uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will uh, turn the meeting now over to questions, questions and answers. Um, so the, what, we, what we want to do is get, get some newcomers or anybody with uh, less than 90 days. If you've got a question for either Steve or Tony, or if you've got anything general that you want to share, uh, you can raise your hand in the raise, you can press the raise hand button on the right hand side of your, of your screen in the chat box. Um, uh, and then you can come back and share with Steve. I just want to thank you again, Steve. That was absolutely, you blew my mind, man. Tony, thank you so much. That was just, uh, I, I don't even have words. It was, I was, I was literally rocketed to the fourth dimension, you know, as advertised. So it was really good. Uh, unbelievable. Um, okay, so um, the floor is now open to any newcomers, anybody with less than 90 days who would like to share, and I will hand the meeting for the Q&A section over to Jane, uh, who will now take over with, the, with this part of the meeting.
Hi, everybody. I'm Jane. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you so much, Steve and Tony, for walking us through the steps there. Amazing. This program um, has definitely changed my life beyond my wildest dreams. I used to think that was a, you know, it wasn't going to happen for me, but things are now occurring beyond my wildest dreams. So, um, yeah, if anybody wants to raise their hands, I don't see anyone under 90 days. Are you sure? Maybe they're a little shy. It's okay. But yeah, anyone... Um, has any questions or anything okay cool we have james all right james we're gonna ask yes. to unmute just go ahead and click that and you are up my friend thanks jane hi i'm james alcoholic uh st hey uh steve i can only see you on my screen but thanks to both of you absolutely brilliant thanks ever so for that um heli what was it described as helicopter few of uh, of the 12 steps yeah fantastic um I'm, I'm less than 90 days back i've actually uh been in the room since since october and uh and the question i want to i, I had a question i wanted to ask was uh step 10 question on uh, spot inventory uh because i had this thing this week where um where i felt i'd been uh uh, oh, Tony, I can see you as well now. That's good. Um, um, yeah, I had this thing where I felt I'd been shafted by, uh, by a solicitor. He charged me extra fees um, that I hadn't been anticipating. And, uh, and it, wasn't, it wasn't the summer money. It was the principal. But I was absolutely incandescent. And there was no way that I could have done a spot inventory in that moment because I was just, just so full of anger and outrage at what I perceive to be the injustice. I just wondered uh, if if you guys had uh, any advice, you know, on how to check yourself from just immediately, you know, because I'm still in early recovery. My emotional sobriety, I have the emotional sobriety of a toddler. So uh, I couldn't use the tools because I threw them all out of my pram immediately. And, you know, I couldn't reach for them. Um, so yeah, if you just have any advice about how to, you know, for anyone in very early recovery, how to check your emotions, because I am, you know, I am on that roller coaster. How, how do you check your emotions and do something uh, like a- James, hi, Tony, alcoholic. Uh, okay, so for myself, when things happen, and they happen often like that too, especially uh, in dealing with people, often walking away, oh, I wish I would have said this, or, or they, they hit me in a way that I don't have a comeback and now I feel embarrassed, stupid, and, and the like. Uh, what comes to mind is something that's not appropriate to say as a comeback, so that's out. But oftentimes, these are the very things that, that just tore me up from before. So first off, I have to come back and I have to forgive them. This is my process, but I believe that this is a process that I got when I got through AA. I have to forgive them because as I said earlier, people, other people are sick too, whether they suffer from the same things we do or not, they're emotionally sick and disturbed. And they don't often know how to talk to me. If they're talking to me, talking down to me, then that's not how I would talk to somebody. So, but that said, I need to first just in that moment, not overreact to it, not underreact to it, uh, try to forgive them and then and try to find out, you mentioned it was a solicitor, is there some financial or some recourse I can come back to a number I can call uh, 
a boss, just because we don't overreact emotionally doesn't mean that we are to be pawns or to be taken advantage of either. Okay. In the book, it says, the big book, it says, you know, we bow before nobody. Once we make our amends, we are free of that. And we move forward with our lives. And that's what we're supposed to do in order to have this rich life. There can't be conditions on, on those things. So uh, if we forgive, we need to be forgiven, period. And that's how I understand that. So with forgiveness, follow any recourse that might be there. If it's, uh, you know, speaking to his manager or writing a letter to the company, if, it's, if that's the nature of what you were talking about. Am I close with that, James? Uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah, for remind me that other people can be sick and yeah, yeah. The, the, the forgiveness, you know, praying for love, love, tolerance, peace of mind for the other person and that they might be sick. And I say but that in at first sort. to me, James, at first to me, that seemed like a weak way of approaching something. But once I understand that, that other people are sick and I also understand that my history has shown that I am not the most mature at handling a lot of the types of these situations. So my first thought is not always the best way to handle anything. And I find that when I take this approach, I don't have to let it tear me up inside. I just think, okay, this is the path I've decided to take the higher road as it were. Uh, and I'm going to go about it in this manner and I'm going to do it professionally to the best of my ability. And in the end, it will be what it will be, but I will have done my due diligence. So I won't feel that I was walked on. Or taken okay? advantage of. Thank you very much. Thanks, Toby. You're welcome. I should un oh, sorry. <laughs> I need to mute myself. Baby. Um, okay. Are we good? Uh, next, we have Moses has a question. I will make sure I mute myself because my baby's here and I, Apologies for the interruption, but yes, Moses, I'm going to unmute you. You Thank are you. up, my friend. Hi, I'm Moses, and I'm alcoholic. Um, thank you guys for sharing. Um, I'm less than 90 days as well, and um, um, I'm working on the steps. I'm on my third step. Well, not technically on my third step. I'm just having a feel of the steps and uh, what you call it. Um, my question is uh, more to do with the fourth step. And... Um, in terms of um, um, the institutions that I used to work with and um, the, you know, like the financial positions that I was put in. And I'm um, obviously because of my alcoholism, I embezzled a lot, a lot of funds. And um, I'm thinking in terms of being fearlessly honest and approaching my former employees and um, well, cause they won't understand my background, you know, and what, the reason why I'm doing that. Uh, so my fear is, uh, um, you know, like, you know, ending up being taken to court or things like that. So I just wanted to know how to navigate that situation. Thank you. Yeah, Steve here. Thank you for sharing that. You know, in my first 90 days, I was told don't make any major decisions. Matter of fact, in my first year, my sponsor said, don't make any major decisions. We're going to work through these steps slowly. And, and in the first 90 days, I was all over the map, all over the map emotionally. I could not make good decisions, right? Because I was still running on anger, fear, resentment, 
bad conduct. You know, my thinking wasn't working to my best advantage. I, I didn't do anything without running it through my sponsor. And if he said, don't do that, I didn't do it. Um, so as time progresses in the steps, right? Making those amends, that's step eight and nine. You're not even close to that. You're down in step three, right? First three months, really one, two, and three. Just staying away from drinking. And if you have a drug problem, staying away from the drugs. You know, just starting that, building that relationship with a higher power. You may or may not call them God, higher power. That works. It's throughout the book. And then, uh, and then just getting our bearings in the program, just getting stable in our seat in AA, you know, and I didn't go out and start making lots of amends and doing all these changes or anything, you know, easy does it go slowly. Uh, one of the things on the earlier, you know, the early questions, restraint of pen and tongue, right? Don't react. Don't say anything. Walk away if you have to, Steve. Don't make a bad situation worse. And I don't need to go out and start making, you know, uh, all these admissions of things I've done until I get to that eight and nine step, right? And then I review with my sponsor. And, um, you know, I have a very good friend in the program who's coming up on like nine years sober. He embezzled a lot of money. <laughs> he had a lot of, and he spent some time. In, in, you know, in solitary confinement in the penitentiary, you know, before he got into the program. And once he got in, he had to clear away the wreckage. He had warrants out for him in several states. He didn't run out and do that in 90 days. He got sober. He built a track record in this sobriety. He built a real foundation. And, but when it came time to make those amends, you know, we've, that sponsored him, that became his friends, we wrote letters to the judges saying this is a changed man, right? He's a different guy now. And he actually takes those letters and went to the judge and went to attorneys and handled things. And uh, it kept him out of jail. He's had to pay back money. And it took him quite a while, but he did eventually pay off all those people he had ripped off. Uh, but he didn't do that in the first 90 days, I can tell you that much. So give yourself time. Don't worry about that now. It's hard to say, right? Don't worry about it because we worry about this stuff. And trust the process of AA and that God will take the best care of you in that process. So don't rush out and start telling a lot of people lots of things. Uh, focus in on being sober. Focus in on building your program, building an honest relationship with yourself, with God, and with your sponsor. And then you take one at a time. And maybe that's nine months down the road. Maybe it's a year and a half down the road for some of those before you. And it says it in our literature. In, in working eight, you know, we don't lead with the chin, right? I don't run out and stick my chin out and say, go ahead and arrest me, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I am willing to clear up the wreckage of my past. And I may have to spend a little time in jail. I do have a, uh, my sponsor sponsored a guy that after he made all his amends in his second year, he had to go to jail for six months to make some restitution. And he did that and he stayed sober. And now he's got like seven, eight years of sobriety. He had to go do that. And he, believe me, he was afraid. We wrote him letters in jail. He wrote letters back. And it all worked out in God's time. But easy does it. Don't make any major decisions. Don't overreact. And work everything through the steps in your sponsor. I hope that helps. Right on. Thanks, Steve, Tony, Moses. All right. We uh, 
Anyone who has a question, please raise your hand uh, or just wave your hand on the screen and we will try to uh, get you on there. Next up, we have Beth. Beth, I'm gonna go ahead and unmute you, my dear. Hi, my name is Beth, an alcoholic. I just wanna thank you both. This has been so enlightening. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, it's a real, it's the first time I've heard a sponsor sponsee relate from the big book and the 12 and 12 together. And um, it really shows. Um, I have a question about the fourth step, the third column, that just confuses me. And I was curious how you've approached it and how you relate it and how you understand it and how you explain it. Um, if both of you could uh, expound on that a little bit, thanks. Okay, Beth, uh, this is Tony. Uh, so fourth step in the 12 and 12, third paragraph. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, one second. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, yes, yes, in the big book. Actually, in the big book, where it talks about your um, how it affects you. Okay, I'm on. The social instincts. Yeah, okay. on the big book. What page are you on, Beth? Oh, sorry. I got to get the okay. page. We're all works in progress here, right? Yeah, fourth edition. Page 65. Page 65 in the book? Yes, page okay. 65 affects my, that column. Right. Affects okay. my, you got that? What, Want me to go? Yeah. So what's your question on it? How, how do we set it up? How do we do it? What does it mean? Yeah, what does it mean? Because I find it very confusing. I've listened to Joe and Charlie, and you're just checking boxes. And I don't understand okay. why so, it's there. Okay, so let's go through it real quickly. So I'm looking at I am resentful at Mr. Brown, the cause and affects my, is that where you're on? Yes. Okay. So uh, let's change Mr. Brown for who in your life do you, would you put in that column? Mother, father, brother, sister, husband. Let's, let's pick mm, one of those. Let me pick a boss. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Who's that? Uh, my boss. I'm sorry. Your boss. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Mr. Brown, call him Mr. Brown. Okay. So you have a grudge against Mr. Brown and the cause is his attention to your wife. Okay. Uh, so you feel like your boss has eyes for your husband. Okay. And what does that affect from you? What, what, what are you feeling? That affects your sex relations, right? That's your relationship, your close relationship exclusive relationship with your husband. Uh, it affects your self-esteem, right? Who am I that this guy thinks he can just come in and, and mess up my marriage? Uh, it affects your sex relations. So that's your relations with your husband. Wait, I'm sorry. Okay. So that's just that one sentence, the cause. Okay. So those are the things that it affects in me, right? Those are the fears that it brings up in me that I have to deal with. Okay, now if we go on further, Mr. Brown, same subject, told my wife of my mistress, 
right? So in other words, you're having an affair and your boss knows it, Mr. Brown, your husband about it, okay? So now what does that do in your life? That affects your sexual relationship with your husband because now he's upset. It affects your self-esteem because now you have fear. Your marriage isn't the secure place it was, right? He knows something that he sh that you didn't want him to find out. I'm sorry. Hello? Oh, oh. Carry on. Sorry. Is it okay? So, uh, do you understand that process, Beth? When we put it on paper and we relate this to every person, we see which instincts of ours are God given instincts, security uh, in our relationships, uh, the sex relation, uh, and our place in society. Which one of these things is affected by this person? And then we write okay. it down. Now, in this case, his attention to my wife. Okay, so he told my wife about my mistress, right? Well, that's that affects my security, right? But as we say, lay, say, as we write this out on paper, we look at it and we say, well, you're having the affair. You're the one screwing this up. It's not Mr. Brown. He's just telling the truth. You're the one who has a problem. But we won't see that until we put it down on paper. Right. And we have an objective look at it from our sponsor's point of view, from somebody who's not directly involved with it. Then they can see, hey, you know, it's not Mr. Brown's fault. This is your fault. OK. And as you go down, it's further kind of shows these. This is a way of us. We have these things that bother us. We can tell our friends at work that we know that we know that we can gain sympathy and they'll understand. But when we tell somebody who has no uh, emotional tie to it, they can objectively look at it and say, mm, no, you're wrong here. Mr. Brown's telling the truth. You're the one having the affair. You're upset because you told him, but that's on you. Okay. So this is how we, we separate the fiction of our life from the stories that we're telling ourselves about what's going on. And it all comes back to uh, our in step four, how we talked about our instincts run wild that's what we're putting out on paper and that's how we start to decipher what, what is a problem and what is not a problem. Now, to further pursue this, we might put Mr. Brown on our eighth step list of amends that we have to make. And we might have to go to Mr. Brown and say, you know what, for a long time I've hated you. I stole from work because of, of these things that you did that I thought you were wrong for doing. But now I see in the light of day that, you know, you were just being honest and it's me that was at fault. And so I, I apologize or I don't behave that way anymore. I no longer cheat on my wife, so on and so forth. Does that help? Yeah, it helps a little clarity. I just, I guess I don't understand why they put in personal relationships. Is that a personal relationship? Because like these are the relationships that are personal to you. Okay, you know your boss. He's personal to you. He's not my boss, but he's yours. Okay, and the people that you deal with in your life, those are your personal relationships. The people you come in contact to. A stranger that you meet on a regular basis on the bus, that can be a personal relationship. 
because you know him as that stranger on the bus, whether you know him or not, he's somebody that you see regularly. And if there's an offense going on there, then it's something that troubles you in your life, right? And it's something that we need okay. to put down on paper and get to the root of it. What is it? Why is this guy troubling me? Well, he never gets up when I get on the bus. I'm female. He should get up and give me his seat. He never does. Okay, he's rude. Okay, well, again, we live in a world with other sick people. Is that enough for you to hate him? And once you can put your finger on something like that, now we can sit there and look. Okay, so he's not evil. He's just, maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's ignorant and doesn't have those manners and was never taught that. So I can forgive that person and I can move on with my life. And I don't have to carry that angst, that anger with me. Does that explain okay. that? Yeah, that starts to make more sense. So it sounds like this column helps me work with, with my sponsor to figure out, like you were saying, fact versus fiction. What's my perception versus where is it that I actually need to do an eight step or need to forgive or make amends? Does that kind of exactly. sum it up? Exactly. Even if you need to. Got it. And, and these are all the people that are in your life that have affected you. That If they come up in your head, it's like, hmm, you know, the girl I knew in grade school. And I still, for some reason, every time I think of her, I have a negative thought because of whatever. Put that on the list. It's still something, it's something that's floating around in your brain that is causing you trouble. Okay. Get it out awesome. on paper. It might be nothing. And you might be able to just dismiss it. Oh, that was just kids being kids. <sighs> Let it go. Your sponsor might look at that and say, just kick that off the page. It's not worth it. That's just you as a child, not knowing any better. Move on. And then we get to the more meatier things in our lives. Right. Awesome. Thank Anything you. Else? Nope, that's good. Thank you. All right, great. Uh, well, thank you all so much. Is there anyone else that has any questions for Steve or Tony or both? Um, you can wave your hand on the screen or raise your hand virtually. I think that might be it, fellows. Um, yeah, so thank you and so if, much. If no one has a question, I, I have a quick question. Oh, Tony, just to, yeah. Just to end it. Um, yeah. While you guys were speaking, um, I was in, I've always been thinking in the back of my mind um, whether I should do the steps again. And you always hear people talking about doing the steps more than once. Um, what do you? What is your position on doing the steps multiple times? And do you think that there is a time where you should do the steps again? Or um, I don't know. I feel like I want to at some point. But is it a necessity? Do you feel like it's something that you, it's, it's an ongoing uh, part of your recovery, doing the steps more than once? I mean, what is your opinion on doing the steps multiple times? Yeah, Steve, alcoholic, I'll take that one. Um, yeah, I think we live in the steps. And you have a feeling to do them again, go with that feeling, right? Why deny that feeling that, hey, I think I'd like to take the steps again. Or I think I need to take the steps again. Um, the steps will never hurt you. Not taking them might kill you. Whether I do them once, twice, you know, I'm 32 years, six months sober, and some change, right? <laughs> the 10th step, right? Continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Well, where did I learn to take inventory? That's step four. So step 10 is really taking, taking me back to step four. 
and I do a fourth step on some new in, some new things that may have occurred or some things that keep on occurring. So I do a fourth step. If I do a fourth step, then I have to do a fifth step. After the fifth step, and I see my character defects in my part, then I've got to look at six and seven, you know, and, and reduce and eliminate those character defects and practice the opposite behavior. And then if I really had harms done others, uh, as identified from 10, you know, four through, then I have to make amends and eight and nine. So step 10 really recycles us through uh, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Now I go into step 11, you know, and I'm doing prayer and meditation. Um, I go back to the third step a lot and take a look at the third step. I review it with my sponsor, but also because I sponsor guys, I wind up taking them through the steps. And here's how I take somebody through the steps. We start out in the beginning of the big book. So a guy asked me to sponsor him, right? I got guy, I got a lot, you know, a fair number of people. Uh, Tony's coming up on 12 years. I just had a guy take 10 years. I got a guy coming up in June on, on, you know, on 15 years, not because I'm a great sponsor, but because we stay in the steps in the big book. Uh, so when I'm sponsoring a guy, we go back and I go back to step one with him. So I'm actually working step one with him as he's working step one with him, uh, uh, as he's working with step one with me. And we go back and on the inside jacket of the big book, I have all my guys write down their sobriety date and their name. And I tell them never cross it out and you'll have a fabulous life because that's what they taught me to do. My first big book, I have it sitting in front of me. Uh, all the pages are falling out, but in the inside jacket, it says November 8th, 1987, Steve W, my sobriety date. So I'm starting right from scratch with them. Then we go into the reading the book really page by page. I'll have them say, you know what? Read the doctor's opinion, highlight things and underline things. And I'll read the doctor's opinion and we'll share highlights and underlines. So I'm always cycling myself through the steps as I work them through the steps. But then there are times I call up my sponsor and say, hey, you know what? Let's get together and talk about step one. Or let's get together and talk about step three. Or I want to start from step one and go all the way through. And I've done that whenever I have that urge to do that, or I think it's time I do that. But I'm always in the steps in the big book with somebody, somehow. Um, and at 8, at 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, I'm in a big book study with about 65, 70 guys. It's a men's stag. And then, you know, on, on Monday night, I'm in another meeting with about 100 guys. But we're always talking about the steps in the big book. So if you feel an urge to do that, I encourage you to do that. Some, and as Tony talked about, a spot inventory. Some go in for an annual house cleaning. Um, but I stay in the steps as a way of life. Mm -hmm hope that helps yes, that's brilliant thank you steve that was awesome yeah <laughs> that's amazing yeah that's exactly what i wanted to hear okay cool um yeah. well i think we, we will uh wind down the meeting um if you uh steve and tony if you guys can take us out with the uh serenity prayer unless there are any AA announcements uh packs i know there's a um tradition seven is that has that been put up in the chat chat box on the right hand side I think I see it. Yes, it has. Okay. So, yeah, Tradition 7 is in the chat there on the right-hand side. Okay, so uh, Tony and Steve, if you can maybe take us out with the serenity prayer or uh, pretty much in any way you feel like yep, that uh, works. you want to take us out, Tony, fine. Tony, I'll mute and you grab that so we don't have an echo. So take us out, Tony, with the serenity prayer. Okay. 
First moment of silence for the alcoholic who still suffers in and out of these rooms. God, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thank you guys for the pleasure. It's been an honor to share this with you. And uh, I hope that your AA journey and your walk is everything that it can be. From California, goodbye. Bye now. Thank you so much. Thank you.